Over the next six weeks, we're going to be spending our time uh, in our Sunday gatherings in the book of Philippians. We're going to um, begin that uh, this morning. Philippians is a short four-chapter letter written by the Apostle Paul to the church in Philippi, which was a Roman colony, around the year 62 AD, so very shortly after the death and resurrection of Jesus, and right at the beginning of the birth of the very first churches. And Philippians is a good book for us as a church in this season because as I read Paul's words to the gathered Christians in Philippi, with you all in my heart, I couldn't help but having this sense of yes and amen to all of his words for them, for us. Paul is an apostle and a pastor and an evangelist and an author who is not afraid to tell it how it is often at times not pulling any punches when he needs to deal with issues head on. Just have a look at this. I think of his words to the Corinthians when he says, with some level of exasperation. Chapter 11. In the following directives, I have no praise for you, for your meetings do more harm than good. Tell us what you really think, Paul. (laughs) Or in the opening chapter of Galatians, almost in the opening breath, He says, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel. Following it up in chapter 3, exclaiming, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? Wow. Imagine receiving that, coming to church, expecting to be encouraged. And yet, when we come to the letter to the Philippians, we don't find any such language, or at least not as... Uh, as strong, nowhere near as strong. Now, not that the church at Philippi was perfect, none are. And nor was it that the church at Philippi didn't need instruction or exhortation. Much of that is present in the book of Philippians, which we will head into in the coming weeks. But the overwhelming feel of this letter is one of love and affection and deep connection and friendship between the Apostle Paul and these gathered believers at Philippi. It's clear in the book of Philippians that Paul just loves Jesus and he loves these people and he is uh, committed and passionate about their unity in Christ and their continuation in the gospel. And it's out of that that his words of instruction and exhortation come. And so as it is the case with so many of Paul's letters, so many of the themes that that we are going to unpack in the coming weeks, some of the big ideas, some of Paul's main agenda in writing this letter are all evident in the very opening paragraphs, in the greetings and the prayer. And so this morning we're just going to uh, open Philippians 1 verse 1 to 11 and that's going to open up for us some of the big ideas that we're going to be working through over the coming weeks. So if you've got your Bibles open to the very first page of Philippians, I'll have some on the screen as well. But we're going to be jumping back and forth a bit this morning just as we introduce the book. Philippians 1, verse 1 to 2 says this, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he begins this letter. Now, unlike the way we write letters today, which I'm very aware is a dying art form, who still writes letters of friendship to their friends? Some people, good for you, Roma, well done. (laughs) It is a dying art. 
Uh, but unlike what we do, rather than signing off with who it's from, which is how we might end with a letter, in ancient Greco-Roman letters, they would begin their letter by signing who it's from. That's why it says Paul and Timothy right up the front. Now, it seems uh, that, that scholars seem to suggest that Paul actually was the author of this letter, but Timothy is mentioned probably because he was the scribe, the one who actually wrote it down, but the authorship is attributed to Paul. And as I mentioned before, the year is approximately 62 AD, so very early in the beginnings of the church, and Paul, in this current moment, finds himself in prison. He is writing to them uh, in prison, likely in a Roman prison, uh, and for his work in the gospel. We know this because as we jump down a little bit further in chapter 1 of Philippians 1, 12 to 13, he says this, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. So he's writing to them from prison. Now, if you're interested in the birth of the church of Philippi, how this group of people came to be, how they first heard about the good news of Jesus and started gathering a meeting together, you can actually read that story in Acts chapter 16. It's recorded there. Now, I don't have time to uh, read through that. It's quite a long chapter. But in a nutshell... It is a wild story. It's actually phenomenal how the, the church at Philippi came together. In a nutshell, there was this woman named Lydia, and she and her entire family responded to the preaching of Paul and Silas and the gospel, and their entire family ended up being baptized. Then, as the story moves along very quickly, almost out of frustration or annoyance, there was this uh, girl who kept following Paul and Silas around, and, and depending on how you read it, it's almost as though Paul turns around and just casts this spirit, this future-telling spirit out of this girl, uh, and then they move on. Now, the owners of the slave girl were not uh, all that wrapped about that because they were making money through her skills, and then so they dragged Paul and Silas in front of the authorities and the whole town, and in the end, Paul and Silas ended up being stripped and beaten and flogged and thrown in prison. Now, that didn't stop Paul and Silas because they then had this great worship and prayer meeting which went all the way until midnight, until at midnight there was this earthquake and then all the walls of the jail uh, fell down, their chains came loose, but rather than escaping, they stayed there and they preached the gospel to the jailer. And so the jailer and his whole family was baptized there in the middle of the night and then after being out, escorted out of the town by the magistrates due to having an unfair imprisonment, they ended up back at Lydia's house where they met with the newly formed community of faith, encouraged them, and then, quote, they left. That's how the church at Philippi came to being. You can read of that in Acts 16. How's that for an origin story? <laughs> now, among this church, among these gathered believers, was a man named Epaphroditus. And having heard that Paul was in prison at the time of writing this letter, the church at Philippi sent him with provisions to care for Paul. The church was, uh, heard that Paul was in prison and they sent Epaphroditus to care for him. We see that at the end of the uh, Philippians. Chapter 4, verse 18 says this. this is Paul says, I have received full payment and have more than enough. I am amply supplied now that I have received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent. They're a fragrant offering, an acceptable sacrifice, 
pleasing to God. And so this letter to the Philippians is written with Paul having received the gift from church, from the church, uh, received a report from Epaphroditus about how the church was traveling in life and faith, and then he will send this letter back with Epaphroditus when he returns. He also, um, uh, he says that, verse 25, but I think it's necessary to send back to you Epaphroditus, my brother, co-worker and fellow soldier, who is also your messenger, whom you sent to take care of my needs. And Paul also hopes to send Timothy shortly after because he too cares deeply for the Philippians. Chapter 2, verse 19 and 20. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy soon uh, so that I may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine care and concern for your welfare. So that's the situation. That's the situation of Paul as he finds himself in prison and Timothy and Epaphroditus who is this messenger between Paul and the church. Paul heard the report, received their gift and then was writing back to encourage them. But what about the Philippians? How do they find themselves at the time of the writing and receiving of this letter? Well, as I mentioned, Philippi was a Roman colony a very Roman-oriented uh, town in, in culture and life. And this gathering of believers are seeking to be faithful to their confession and living out the reality of the gospel that Jesus is Lord in this highly Roman pagan context. Now, in a Roman-dominated uh, society that is fully oriented in culture and practice and confession that not Jesus but that Caesar is Lord this was the cause of some difficulty for these early followers of Jesus because in a Roman rule that demands loyalty when they started catching wind of this group of so-called Christians or this group of so-called followers of the way who were confessing that Jesus is Lord by definition what they are saying and what is heard is that Caesar is not are you with me when you, so for the early Christians to declare that Jesus is Lord to heard by a Roman are words of political dissent and disloyalty. Big problem for the Romans, and therefore big problem for the early followers of Jesus. Their confession of the lordship of Christ had immediate political implications for them in the society in which they lived. And so one of the key themes of the book of the Philippians, book to the Philippians, is the call to stand firm in their face, in their faith, in the face of of the opposition that they were experiencing at the hands of the Romans. Let me say that again. One of the key themes that we will see in this book is the call to stand firm in the face of the opposition that they were uh, experiencing. And this is actually exactly what Paul was doing himself. He had been imprisoned by the Roman authorities for preaching Christ. And as we'll see next week, for him, this is actually in some sort of strange twist of events, great news, because it was serving to advance the gospel. And so Paul will draw similarities between his experience in a Roman prison to the experience of the Philippians in a Roman town and what it is for both of them to remain faithful to Christ in those 
uh, context. This call to continue to stand firm against opposition is one of the two primary themes that run throughout the letter to the Philippians. The second primary theme that we will see in the coming weeks is this, the call to a unified body of believers. The call to a unified body of believers. Particularly, as in the context of the Philippian church, they seem to be in the midst of this sort of unrest that was existing within the church community. We see an allusion to this in Philippians 4.2 when uh, Paul says, I plead with Euodia and I plead with Syntyche to be of one, uh, sorry, to be of the same mind in the Lord. (laughs) How would you like your disagreement to be recorded in Scripture by name for all time? (laughs) Wonder what was going on for Euodia and Syntyche. But obviously there was some sort of unrest disagreement going on there. They were potentially leaders in the church, but also more broadly, while we're not exactly sure what this sort of unrest was, the call to humility and laying down of selfish ambitions with Jesus' incarnation and death on the cross uh, as the primary example, we'll see that in Philippians 2, and also Paul himself in prison for the gospel as another example, there seems to be this um, implication that there, within the church community there is some, some posturing going on or some selfish, ambi- selfish ambition or people seeking to elevate themselves above one another, which motivates Paul to say, actually, in your attitudes, you should be in the same as Christ Jesus, who didn't see his equality with God as something to be grasped and held onto, but actually gave it up in humility and emptied himself for the sake of the world, and, and in, other, in, in that sense, go and do likewise. We'll take a deep dive in that coming up. Now, just to be clear, for the church at Philippi, these attitudes or whatever's going on there hasn't come to the point of division. It hasn't come to the point where the church is in strife or even disunity. This is not a crisis letter that Paul is writing. It's incredibly encouraging for where they are at. But for Paul, if these attitudes are left unchecked or or left unaddressed, then the natural result will be disunity, distrust, and division may result. And so these two primary concerns of faithfulness, to Jesus against in the midst of opposition and unity in the bodily body of believers are really helpfully summed up for us in chapter 1 verse 27 and 28. Paul says, whatever happens, conduct yourselves manner, uh, in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. Did you see those two themes evident in that one section? This is a life being called for that reflects the gospel of Jesus, standing firm against opposition, unified in the one spirit of Jesus Christ, striving together as one people for the faith of the gospel without being frightened by those who oppose you. In other words, stand firm. These are the great, and these are great invitations for us as a gathered body as well. 
the call to faithfulness to Jesus in a world that seemingly mostly isn't, and the call to unity together through humility. Faithfulness to Jesus, unity through humility. Faithfulness to Jesus, unity through humility. These are good themes for us to consider as over the coming weeks and we will take a deep dive on each of these because the reality is in many of the spaces and places in society today, it's just not all that popular to bear the name of Jesus Christ. Whether in school or work or amongst the members of your family or in the public square or whatever, God's call for us is to continue in our faithfulness to Him despite any opposition, discouragement, or even suffering we may face. Secondly, the call to unity is a good call for us as a gathered body. In a culture where seemingly less and less we're able to have nuanced conversation, listen well and learn from those who have different views to ourselves, in a culture where we so readily find people dividing along the lines of us and them with an ever-decreasing ability to sit with tension and journey with those with whom we disagree, how much more does the church of Jesus Christ in our day and age have the opportunity to be a prophetic voice to a culture that is seemingly more fragmented about what it is to be a unified people despite our diversity? Don't we have a great opportunity to model that to our world today? I think we have a great opportunity. In fact, I think we should be leading the way in what it is to be united despite our differences because we are united in the one Spirit, in the one Lord Jesus Christ. Now, a word of encouragement. Like I said, Paul is not calling for faithfulness or unity out of desperation, exasperation, or as a pastor or apostle in crisis management mode because he's got a church that's in deep conflict or rejecting their first love in Jesus. That's not the case. Quite the opposite. Rather than crisis management, Paul is simply addressing some of the realities of what it is to be the people of God, but from a place of overwhelming gratitude overwhelming thankfulness and love for those people and how they're living out their faith. And I think there is something in me that resonates with Paul's affection for his community as I begin into this new role as your lead pastor. My affection and love for you continues to grow and grow. Look at the language that he uses when he uh, addresses the Philippians. We probably should actually get past Philippians 1 verse 2. So let's go to verse 3. He says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen to that? Amen. It's right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you sharing God's grace for me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. Paul, whose life 
is solely about Jesus and the gospel, is writing this letter and it is dripping with deep love and affection to a church who has partnered in the gospel from the very beginning, through their living it out in Philippi and providing for his needs while in prison, and he's simply saying in the midst of all the realities of what it is to be community together, stay close to Jesus, stay close with one another, and in that, you will glorify God. If I was to simplify these major themes down into what Paul is really trying to encourage the Philippians with, and I believe is God's word for us today, it is this. Stick with Jesus. Stick with each other. And in that, God will be glorified. Now, for the visual learners in the room, and some of our youth and young adults will roll their eyes as I present yet another triangle, but here is the primary relationships that are taking place in the book of Philippians in, in, a, in an image. It's this three-way relationship between Paul, the Philippians, and Christ Jesus. Paul, who is in prison, loves Jesus and is loved by Jesus, and this is made possible through the gospel. But not only does, just flick back to that other one, stick on Paul and Jesus. No, sorry, you were right, Eli, my bad. Uh, not only does uh, he love Jesus, he clearly loves the Philippians who are experiencing some form of unrest in their life together in Roman opposition as we've unpacked. And what is it that is the basis of their mutual love and affection? We've just read it. Their partnership in the gospel. Nothing other than their partnership in the gospel and their mutual love for Christ is what binds them together. And actually, isn't that true of what binds us together? In all of our diversity and um, all of our youngness and oldness and everything in between, from all of our retiredness and workingness, uh, I'm just making up words now, but you get what I mean. In all of our difference, it is Jesus and the gospel that unites us and brings us together. And so Paul's concern and primary reason for writing to the Philippians is the furthering and deepening and working out of their relationship with Christ made possible through what? The gospel. It is all about Jesus. It is all about the good news of the gospel. And Paul's concern and God's concern for us is that we would go deeper in our faithfulness as we remain united together through humility together. It is the good news of the gospel uh, through faith that enables us to experience new birth into a living hope through Jesus' death and resurrection. It is the good news of the gospel of Jesus that is the basis of our faithfulness to him. And it is the good news of the gospel that unifies us as God's set-apart people for his name's sake. And so God's word for us today through the book of Philippians is simply this. Stick with Jesus. Stick with each other. And God will be glorified through that. And these primary themes are beautifully evident in Paul's prayer for the church. And may this be our prayer too as followers of Jesus together. Let me pray this for us as we close. And this is my prayer. That our love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that we may be able to discern what is best and be pure and blameless for the day of Christ. 
filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Father, may we stick close to Jesus. May we stick close with one another. And may you be glorified in us, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks, John.